am such a big proponent about surrounding yourself with people who support you, who challenge you, who inspire you. And so I called my mentor, his name's Alvaro, and I said, Alvaro. And I just kind of set the scene for him. What should I do? Should I go work this this really tough but really cool job and, and, and save for a year, or should I go pursue Bandita? And he said, Megan, there's one thing you will never get more of, and that's time. This episode of All Things Con Amor features Megan Meza and her innovative company, Bandita. She's a graduate of Duke University and launched her career in marketing and advertising at the globally renowned and award-winning agency, Ogilvy. Her passion for food led her back to the classroom, but this time with an apron. She studied at the International Culinary Center in New York while balancing a full-time job as director of strategy and global lead of customer engagement. She spent the last decade advising on all things marketing strategy. Megan solved tough challenges for a few companies you might have heard of, including Coca-Cola, Southwest Airlines, American Express, IBM, Chobani, and Mondelez. And simply is an incredible human being. These experiences gave her a beautifully firm foundation for starting Bandita in 2019 and building a sales funnel to drive demand. So throughout this episode, we talk about her journey and how our heritage shapes our identity. I was absolutely obsessed with this conversation and I hope you guys like it as much as I did. All Things Con Amor is the pursuit of holistic health, wellness, happiness, love, the things that really set our soul on fire. Enjoy the ride. Hello. I am so excited to have you here today, guys. Um, Megan arrived like almost half an hour ago and we've been vibing so hard. I almost feel like you are what I hope to grow into. Does that make sense? Oh my sense? gosh, you are too sweet. Well, I mean, you've got such a very zen space here Thank and you. so you've been so welcoming and I as soon as I walked in, I kind of felt at home. So oh, thank you. I feel like you're kind of returning the so energy. Much. So it takes two. We were looking at my plants and she is just, she's very, very badass. I'm very excited for you guys to hear. We made tea and she was telling me a little bit about her orchata business and I, we need the full backstory. So where to begin? Where, where to, begin? to begin? Where are you from? Like how did it all start? Yeah, so I grew up in San Diego, California, mm -hmm. so land of sunshine, tacos. That's why you're so chill. I see it. I see it. Okay. It's so funny because whenever I get into like an Uber or something, I'll be like, oh, how's your day going? And I'll have like a very nice conversation with the driver and then they'll usually be like, you're not from here, are you? I'm like, no, no I'm from California, <laughs> but I've lived in New York for, I'm trying to think, like 10 years now, oh, which wow. is insane. Um, and I went to school in the South, so that was like a very different experience in itself. And that's like a whole nother conversation. Yeah. But grew up in San Diego, um, and I went to school at Duke University, go okay. Blue Devils, loved it. Wow. And then I always thought I'd move back to California, because again, I'm like a California girl through and through, yeah. but I ended up like going to New York and then working in advertising and marketing, mm -hmm. and that's kind of where my background is and where I was for quite a few years. But... I realized there was something that was still kind of missing from my day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. And so I went to culinary school like at night. So I was literally doing oh. like a full-time job during the day and I would uh -huh. leave around five. And then from like five to 10, I would literally have the like white chef's hat and like the coat, the whole, the whole nine yards. And Very so cool. went to culinary school. And then afterwards I was like, how can I kind of take some of what I love mm -hmm. and how do I want to bring it in my, into my everyday? Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so I was at home and kind of like rediscovering my, like what it means to be Mexican. Oh yeah, I'm, Mex- I'm half Mexican. Yes. Um, my dad was actually born in Mexico. My mom's from here. She's white. Um, and I always kind of felt like I never fit in either side. Like yes. I, I feel like I was always, and, and sometimes to this day, I still kind of felt like I was straddling two different worlds. And yeah. so I was had after culinary school, I was recreating all these Mexican recipes that I grew up that my, that my mom, my grandmother, my, on my dad's side, mm-hmm. that would, she'd always make for me. And so I'd be like, okay, well, how can I make this to fit kind of like my eating habits today? Like, mm-hmm. trust me, the classic is perfect the way it is, but you know, I sometimes want to mix it up. So how do I add a little less dairy? How do I add a little, because I don't really do dairy. Yeah. And so I started making horchata at home. And so I literally became a like a sign a food scientist. I had all these different mason jars making different nut milks and combining and combining different ingredients because uh-huh. classic horchata has condensed milk, lots of sugar, whole milk, and all very good ingredients. They're like delicious ingredients, yeah. but not something you want to enjoy every day. So I finally cracked it of this non-dairy horchata made with uh, or sweetened with um, um, like date syrup because it adds this nice carameliness. Mm-hmm. And then one morning I woke up and I was like, ooh, I really want coffee, but I really want my horchata. So I added them together and I, like, it was horchata coffee latte. Yes, exactly. And so my mind was just like exploded. I'm like, this this is actually really good. And I Mm -hmm. immediately like Googled this, like, do people do this? And and I was seeing like little bits and pieces of it it around, but I didn't really see it bottled anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I started giving it to my friends and everyone's like, Megan, you need to bottle this. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, maybe. Like, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> Fast forward a few years, like, I end up leaving my full-time job. Mm-hmm. Like, and that, of course, is one of the scariest decisions that I've ever made. Yeah. Um, and we could talk about that because I think it's actually really interesting. And and I've received a ton of a ton of interest in it. It's been this, like, wild process. And mm-hmm. what's great is I've been able to use my background in like marketing and advertising and that's absolutely influenced my business Mm -hmm. and so it's been a crazy journey to say the least but that's how it got started oh my goodness guys I this was how we honestly connected because she had made a TikTok talking about how she went into birth and that she was treated a little bit differently and I was like as a Latina living in New York City I fully relate to this like I'm scared to walk into those stores so for you to have been vocal about that and like be able to be a leader and an entrepreneur and always embrace your Latina heritage in what you're doing like that to me was so inspiring and so I messaged her and I was like could we connect and here we are yeah (laughs) um no incredible and I I think I definitely want to dive into how you made that transition from leaving your job to doing this full-time because that is very scary for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and the thing I love about podcasts is that people who otherwise would never of the time or opportunity to meet you, obviously because we have limited numbers of hours in the day, can now get to learn from your life story and how you made that transition and be a fly on the wall in this conversation. Um, So let's, I think, backtrack to that for a second. How did you decide that it was the right time? What did that look like for you? Did you doubt yourself through the process? Because it's it's a huge life transition to go from having a salary and someone else telling you what to do to being in charge of your own day to day. Absolutely. So for me, I feel like my big dream was always to have 
I guess what I was conditioned to kind of think. So I grew up like lower middle class Mm -hmm. and I always thought, okay, I need to go to high school. I need to be top of my class. I Mm -hmm. need to get into a great college. I want to be top of my class. Mm -hmm. I need this degree and I'm going to go out and pursue this high paying job. Mm -hmm. And I'm good. And that was kind of like what was put in my head is like what success means. Have a really stable, successful job. Yes. So I come to New York and I, and I'm like, I'm going to toot my own horn for a second because I think it's okay to toot your own horn, but it it's is. like, I'm, I was really good at my job yeah. and I was getting a promotion and a raise every year and I was negotiating for it. And again, that's like something I'm super passionate about, like asking for what you're worth. And yeah. so I had gotten to a point where I was working on my horchata business on the side, Bandita, by the way, it's called Bandita. We still have to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, I was working on Bandita and I quickly got to the point where I couldn't do both a hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And I'm the kind of person who always has to give 100, if not 120%. Yeah. And so uh, I was actually recruited for a new role. It was a global position leading marketing for a really huge company. Oh. Uh, and it was going to be like a strategy role. That's where my heart is. Like I, I love geeking out on the strategy. Yeah. And they were offering me what, what I love to call like stupid money, mm-hmm. like money I never thought that I would ever make, you yeah. know, like that, that level, at least when I, I love like that high concept. When I think about what I'll make as an attending, that to me is stupid money. Yeah. And it's just like, you like almost can't even wrap your head, head around it. Mm-hmm. And so I had this offer on the table. I could either go do this job and I knew this new job, I would be working, um, I'd be like on calls with Asia all the time. And so my nights would be super, super late. And I knew I would, ha- I wouldn't have any time for Bandita. And so I could either go do this, make stupid money and say, Hey, maybe I'll work there for a year, save up and be able to fund my, my hustle, my business Bandita, yeah. or I could pursue Bandita full time. And so I got on the call with my mentor because I am such a big proponent about surrounding yourself with people who support you, who challenge you, who inspire you. And so I called my mentor, his name's Alvaro. I said, Alvaro. And Alvaro was my boss years ago. He had since moved on and he's, you know, done his own company. He's just a visionary in itself. So, and I, I really admire him. He's a good friend. And I said, Alvaro, like, and I kind of set the scene for him. What should I do? Should I go work this this really tough but really cool job and, and, and save for a year or should I go pursue Bandita? And he said, Megan, there's one thing you will never get more of and that's time. Ooh. And so if you don't pursue this now, mm-hmm. like will you still want to do it in a year? Will someone else kind of take off on this idea when, when you could have done it? Yeah. But here, you can, he's like, set a deadline for yourself. Say, I'm going to give my Bandita one year or maybe, you know, six months and you're going to do a little check-in with yourself and say, hey, is it going in the right direction? And if it's not, pivot mm-hmm. or you can always go back to marketing and advertising. You're at the top of your career right now everyone wants to hire you, like you will be fine. Someone's yeah. always hiring there for strategies. There are going to be jobs for you. Yeah. Exactly. And and I was like, oh, yeah. And it really just kind of broke the way that I've always thought about how you kind of level up in mm-hmm. your career. It's not always a very linear direction. And I think that's kind of what we're all kind of conditioned to think. Yeah. And so this was, you can have a little sidestep and say, I'm going to go explore this for a bit, but you can always come back. And I think that's and sometimes we kind of need that idea of like, I can come back as like that safety net to make sure you feel okay. Mm-hmm. So after this conversation, I uh, basically saved every penny of every paycheck for three months and then I quit. Wow. Did you, like in the quitting process, did you question it or were you just like, this feels right, I'm gonna go with it? 
were like how much of it was trusting yourself versus trusting that you had built this incredible product that would do well I think I think you have to of course like believe in your product but you mm -hmm. have to number one believe in yourself and yeah. know that no matter what like you can you'll see something through it maybe it's not the original product that you set out to do mm -hmm. but you'll be able to see something through and so if I said I was a, but however, if I said if I was 100% confident the whole time, I would be lying. Like, yeah. of course you have those little doubts, like what if this happens? What if that happens? Or, and and mind you, I quit my job at the end of 20, like fall of 2019, next, you know, a few months later, pandemic. And so that was like pretty scary right. as well. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm here today and I've, I've seen some great success. And so I've, I've kind of fought through it. At the end of the day, I think, being an entrepreneur, it's less about, like, yes, it is absolutely about your business and your idea, but it's more about who you are and, like, the level of determination you have to mm -hmm. succeed. Because I think that's something I definitely over-index in on is determination and grit and, like, trying yeah. to figure and be being, like, a solution person. Like, how do we get to point B faster, better, or in a unique way? Like, I, I never take no for an answer. And that's mm -hmm. something... My parents probably hated, but yeah. I think it now serves me a lot today. It definitely does. Yeah. And you definitely like demonstrate those qualities in the success of your company. So you quit your job, the pandemic hits. What did that look like? Was it like reaching out to different like wholesale producers that could bottle Bandita or like how did you shift from there or did you have a mentor that had also built a product from scratch like was Alvaro like telling you what the steps were going to be because I think so often we jump to like what the final product looks like and like what their life looks like right now but we miss like how it was built the scrappy yeah. part like <laughs> the scrappy part always really interests me because I there have been times where I'm like oh this doesn't exist I would love to make it but I have no idea where to start or how to get there so so you quit your job and the pandemic starts. Are you working on this remotely? Do you know someone that has been through the process? How did you figure out like the behind the scenes to getting it into a physical version? Google University, I think was definitely my start. <laughs> no, no I love that. Everything is Googleable. When people ask me yeah. how I started a podcast, I Googled it. Exactly. Yeah. And so I started there, but I also did reach out to a couple individuals who had some beverage experience and basically said, Hey, here's my story. I understand you're super busy. If you have 20 minutes to hop on a call and usually I feel like nine, I don't think anyone actually turned me down for that. Oh. And I think that's what's really amazing is every person I've talked to in the business has been so open, at least women, specifically women of color, because yeah. we all stick together and we know how difficult it is. And yeah. I think once I shared Bandita's mission statement, so Bandita very much is a love letter to my, to like who I am. It's coffee and it's horchata. It's you know, the branding isn't that like traditional quote unquote Mexican, like that you yeah. often see that kind of feels like in some ways kind of offensive when it's like overtly trying to lean into some certain stereotypes, but it feels very modern. And so it's kind of a love letter to my culture of like always trying to find that middle ground. But on the other side, what I love to say is that Bandita uses coffee breaks to break the glass ceiling. Oh. And so we do that by working with women, specifically women of color at every step of the process. So from sourcing the ingredients to working with social media specialists, like I really try to work with women of color. And that was really difficult kind of starting my business because yeah. in manufacturing and co-manufacturing specifically, so that's when you have your recipe and then you have to turn it into a formulation and have it produced at a larger scale. Right. There are so few 
if any, like owned by women and women of color. And so it was, it was very eye opening to me of how important it was like as a business owner to make sure I'm supporting other women, or, like female identifying business owners. And, and so that's why it became my mission. And I was laser focused on that. Um, and so it definitely, I feel like there were times where it slowed the process because I would get quotes from, um, like, like businesses that didn't kind of meet my more like my business mission and I yeah. and it was interesting because you have you have to, to make a decision then maybe it makes financial business sense to go with option a but it might not match your mission objective and you kind of have to say you know what's more important and at the end of the day I'm a business I have to make money but if that means my profits are going to be a bit less by going with a business that's smaller that's you know that's maybe a little bit more expensive but I can support another female entrepreneur I'm absolutely going to choose option b um but it's it's because it's a privilege being a business owner and and I need to make sure I use my privilege for good Mm -hmm. um so that was like one element of it but so I was reaching out to a lot of individuals on LinkedIn and referrals from friends and and saying like here's here's a quick like three sentences on what I'm doing Mm -hmm. I'd love to kind of pick your brain and Mm -hmm. figure out how you got started in the CPG space and I think what's hard about CPG and beverage manufacturing is that a lot there are so many like little middle steps and like different requirements you have to fill that aren't necessarily all in one place online so you're I was all over it is and so I was cobbling you know so many different resources together but I finally got connected with um uh Cornell University's like agritech center and that's up in Geneva New York and so it's it's about I think it was like five hours around to drive and Mm -hmm. so I was chatting with our food scientists there and they have a pilot plant. And so that's kind of where I really got into the processing and they were absolutely amazing because it was so much less expensive because you have students working on your beverage. And I felt cool because it was like a learning experience for them. And so we could kind of all geek out together and, and collaborate and Uh come up with a solution of how we were going to process Bandita. Cause it wasn't just here, you mix your ingredients and then you put in a bottle and go, you have to, there's like, you have to treat it. So it's, is it shelf stable? Is it okay in the, or is, is it, it able to be transported? Exactly. Like, I really think that I, I eventually wanted to get into something that could be like in a coffee shop or have my own coffee shop. Um, I've never like said this out loud, but just like a, like a chain where like people can study, but also have books, but also like a less, a more affordable coffee shop that's similar to a library type of oh, energy. Oh, that's amazing. If that makes sense. Would you have plants too? I would have like, so many plants. <laughs> I'm looking around here. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would just yeah. have it be more of like a community-based thing where the people that go there know each other and have like a quiet space to study because that was so hard for me to find mm-hmm. throughout my undergrad and medical school years. And it's really, really difficult when you're working with any type of like food or beverage because it has to be able to travel around wherever it's going to get to and not expire and the product you're selling like it's not like you're making like a makeup product or like something that's plastic where you can have a huge inventory and not worry about it going bad so that's super neat that you got to collaborate with students on this and I I know you guys heard my gasp when she was talking about her mission with um working with women of color and I full body chills. Like I'm, (laughs) I think that's so incredible. I think that's so special that you have been able to honor yourself and your values so well throughout this process. And the fact that you were willing to make sure that your morals were top of your priority, I think that says so much about your character. And I think I I really believe in like energy and things coming back to you the way you Mm -hmm. put energy into them. And it makes sense that Bandita is doing so well and going to do so well because you built it with so much love and so much 
like warm collaboration that makes my heart so I'm warm like, my, was, my, my heart is so full and I think what's amazing like your reaction is kind of the reaction I get from so many individuals yeah. and so it reminds me of this story so when I started Bandita it wasn't just like I have this idea we're going straight to a supermarket that's not how it works so no, I it, it takes time <laughs> it was and so I was at the farmer's market um that's in Prospect Park in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and I would set up my my little pop-up table, put put a blanket over it, have my samples out and and it was really hard, but it was, I think what made it so worth it was every time someone stopped by and I'd get to share my story and I'd see their face light up and it was and it really just kind of reminded it made me feel like I'm on my right path. You yeah. know, and you get that feeling and all of a sudden things just start working out and it's like like I don't know what's going on, but it feels kind of magic. <laughs> but I remember I had this gentleman come up to me and he said, and he had stopped by earlier and I kind of told him the story and he's like, well, I don't drink coffee. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm just, you know, thanks for stopping by. And so he came back like 20 minutes later after he did his farmer's market shopping mm-hmm. and he bought a couple bottles and he said, I just want to let you know, I'm not buying this for myself. I'm buying this for my 11 year old daughter because I want her to know that this business was made by women and I want her to know what's possible. And I kid you not. Like, as soon as he left, I had to turn around and, like, wipe the tears away. I'm going to start crying now. I'm going to start crying. And what's been really amazing about this process is, like, I have um, I have a, a stepdaughter. Her name's Billy. Oh. And um, she has, like, turned to me and said, like, Megan, I'm, like, so proud of you. Like, this is really cool. What you're doing is, like, really awesome. And it I is. think it's cool. You have your own business and how you support other women. And I'm just like, thank you. And I'm like, this is beautiful. And I think... In these moments, like if I can have a positive impact literally on one person, it's worth it. It's all worth it. Yeah. Like that's because that's why I'm here. And like if you make money, that's awesome. But like if I can like if I can impact and inspire just one individual, I'm set. Yes. If I can inspire two, even better. So hopefully it's been a few more than that though. I hope so. It definitely has. I mean, yeah. you have already impacted me so deeply. Even if we hadn't met, like seeing your TikTok about your experience validated me so much mm-hmm. as a person and like the way that I want to show up in the world and the way I want to be perceived and knowing that we have the power to take that back. And I, when people ask me about social media, it's the same answer for me because medical school is draining, exhausting. Before Megan got here, I was apologizing because I've worked three 12 hour shifts back to back. I have three more after tomorrow. So, and the three more are at 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. It's not like I'm like dilly dallying. Yeah. So, I was calculating it. I'm working 72 hours this week. I am paying to work, but I'm still making my content every day. And when people ask me why I do the two, they're like, isn't med school too much of a, like, um, too much of an obligation? Like, why do you spend so much time making your TikToks and your podcast episodes? And for me, it's knowing that a high school Latina or um, a pre-med Latina sees my content and sees me becoming a doctor and makes her feel that she can do it too even if she got a C in chemistry, or even if she doesn't have doctors in her family to look up to. Neither of my parents are physicians. I had to Google everything. Um, I didn't know even what to ask or who to ask. So sharing your story of how you built your business and knowing that now people can turn to this episode and know that they got to learn from you, or know that when I wear my white coat on my stories, like it reaffirms that we can show up in really incredible, wonderful ways as women of color and it warms my heart to see the comments where they're like this gave me hope or like I'm not gonna quit because of this like that is the sole reason I do it because as a high schooler I didn't think I could be a doctor I didn't see a woman that looked like me as a doctor and it's funny even now like 
I think a few shifts ago I was joking with my attending who is a white male and I was like it's so interesting how much I have to repeat that I am the medical student and I had a patient reply oh so you're just a nurse and I was like first of all the word just because nurses are the backbone of healthcare. Oh do not gosh. do I'm, not I'm like hand, head in my hands right now shaking my yeah. head so I'm just like Ugh. I'm like it takes me like so many more steps to be respected as what I am doing and where I am going and then it takes me steps internally to believe that I'm going to be a doctor you know so normalizing that for women that we can be business owners and we can have products in incredible stores and we can be doctors or scientists or whatever it is we want to be that is so important and fulfilling to me and so I, I love that you shared that mission with oh me gosh well thank you like what you're going through and telling kind of what's driving you it was my turn to have the full body chills it's Aww. really beautiful I'm, I'm just really vibing on our energy right now I'm so, so thank glad. you we were um, almost going to do this on zoom but I could tell it was going to be so much better if we got to do it in person yes and I was really hesitant I was like it's my one day to sleep and run errands and I was like I really hope I'm not like super exhausted or low energy because of it but you know when you are surrounded by the right people and it like gives you that burst of energy I do. and you go out of it <laughs> not feeling like your social battery yeah. is like gone I definitely feel that way about us and I'm so glad that we are forming this friendship and this connection Me too and we're neighbors yeah. which is great <laughs> guys we both live in Brooklyn um That's great I'm I'm so happy um so so you googled everything and you had a physical product with the students from Cornell and then did, was Cornell able to like start to large scale that or did you then have a formulation you could send to someone large scaling and how did you even find women of color in these positions absolutely like, it's not like there's a directory for that I, and like honestly that's like once you start your first entrepreneurial pursuit all mm -hmm. of a sudden you've got an idea for about a hundred others which mm -hmm. I've noticed and that's something in my in my back of my head is like I would love to just have this like like literally an some sort of directory or just just kind of skip to the skip to the good part. <laughs> I think about that in medicine. I think about making like yeah. a directory of I think there are some, but mm -hmm. a directory of like either black or Hispanic physicians in different specialties. Yes. So that you can screen for that because culture and like understanding the way you perceive medicine makes a big difference in patient physician relationships and healthcare outcomes. A thousand percent. Yeah. Like and I know I have a girlfriend who's been struggling because she really wants to see um uh, have a, a black therapist mm -hmm. and is she has and she literally has to call offices or stalk them on LinkedIn and it's been really difficult for her and I know there are some resources available that are like kind of new and I like whenever I see it I'm like oh my gosh look you finally have we have finally have a tool because it really yeah. does make a huge difference um, but the process was literally me LinkedIn stalking Googling, seeing if I can find images of these in, uh, of these individuals, but also just asking for personal, you know, personal mm -hmm. references and saying, hey, here's what I'm doing. Or if I was having a conversation, so for example, working in trying to find a co-manufacturer, really difficult to find a mm -hmm. woman-owned manufacturer, period. Yeah, I can and only so imagine. one of the first questions I'd have, so I basically, in my mind, I have like a hierarchy where I'm sourcing ingredients from women-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. So that's number one, uh, or women of color. And then number two, if I can't find a woman of color to like partner with in a co-manufacturing, I was like, well, can I find a woman? Okay, if I can't find a woman, can I find a person of color? Okay, if I can't find a person of color, I need to know like what type of that leadership. That it's ethically made. It's ethically made, yeah. but also who sits on your leadership team? Do mm -hmm. you have any women on your leadership team? Do you have any people of color on your leadership team? Like I would ask for the stats and it was, I had 
once I had someone kind of go, oh, like we've, we've never been asked that before. And I want that to be a normalized question. Like I think representation is so crazy important. And yeah. I know you feel the same way. I really do. But- and people need to normalize knowing that that's something that they should look at. Because so much of it, it might not even be purposeful, but it is like inherently biased that mm-hmm. they don't even realize that they tend to pick people that look like them and that's how things end up looking the way that they do. So yeah. the fact that you you probably made such a rippling effect in asking those questions and having them self-reflect and realize, oh, actually, wait, we don't have a single person of color on this board. Uh, yes, and I think that's so important. And it's hard because I think living in New York, we get exposed to so many cultures. And yeah. I recently, in this past year, I, in a, I interacted with someone who was from a very small town in the middle of the U.S. And he had said something like, oh, yeah, I've never really met like a black person before and like or I've never met a Mexican before and I was like and even just the way he's kind of like structuring it I was kind of like oh okay but like (laughs) but it was just like so funny growing up in San Diego where huge Hispanic population spending time in New York City you know living the last 10 years in New York City just like I can't even imagine a place that isn't diverse but I think that's what's really important is I take it for granted you know realizing Mm -hmm. that I can take that for granted but also kind of facilitating that conversation with those who might not be exposed to it. I think it's, I, I feel like I'm taking it on as like a personal mission to kind of give, give that exposure. But at the end of the day, somebody's got to do it. Yeah. Because for me, I obviously had like a very strong Hispanic community just because my mom's friends were Hispanic. They're more comfortable speaking in Spanish. I grew up speaking Spanish, but the high school I went to, my mom went through this whole thing where she was like, if they're going to go to public school, they have to go to the best public school possible. So I transferred into um, a public school where I didn't know a single person. And it was only because it was the top public school in Maryland for high school, but I was the only Latina in my class. I like did not see anyone that looked like me. And my school, I got a fantastic education, but then I think about how different my life could have ended up if I hadn't moved and gone to that high school and, you know, hadn't been presented with the opportunities I had. And then I think about how can we work to make sure that we can present those opportunities to other people as well. Mm -hmm. And I think conversations like this really help and remind people that you can go out of your way to seek them. Something that is, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but something that is a very common theme in your story that I really appreciate is how willing you were to ask. Mm-hmm. Like so oh many people gosh, are afraid yes. to ask, yeah. but if you don't ask, there will never be a yes or an answer. And so the worst they can say is no, and it's the same as if you hadn't asked. I literally, I like drill this into any person that I mentor or talk to. So I was just having like a conversation with um, someone I'm, uh, I, I feel, so right now I'm doing a little bit of consulting on the side with like marketing and advertising because it's something that I'm still really passionate about, but yeah. I had an opportunity to kind of step into like a part-time leadership role. And I'm like, absolutely. I get to mentor these amazing women, mm-hmm. like, and especially women of color. And I, and I basically told them when you go up and when you're getting a promotion or you're getting a raise, don't be afraid if they say, you know, oh, I'm going to give you X amount. You can go back and say, oh, thank you for, you know, I'm so grateful for the raise. Thank you so much. Actually, but taking a look at the market and seeing where 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 my position's normally paid, I'd love to, can we raise that, you know, a couple, you know, to, you know, an extra $5,000? Would it be possible? And 
people will look at me and be like, you're insane. You're trying to negotiate after you're like, while you're getting a raise. And yeah. I said, hell yeah. Everything's negotiable. Everything is negotiable. Literally, yeah. But I've never learned to negotiate in salary and I've never had to because I've never been in like a full-time paid position like that. Mm -hmm. Like if anything, I worked for one year in between undergrad and college. I've always worked odd jobs. I've waitressed, I've, I've done the works, but I've never had like a full salary position like that. And that to me is a very scary thing to do. Like I can ask in a lot of other fields, but asking in a financial way, like I appreciate so much that I now have heard how to ask verbalized by you. Because I think a lot of people will be like, oh, just ask. And they don't know how to word it. And that's yeah. where like having a great mentor can really make such a difference. Like I will definitely need to text you whenever <laughs> I'm, I'm getting hired. Yeah. Well, here's the thing too, is I think the reason why negotiation can be so hard is that I think culture has kind of told us it's, it's not polite to talk about money. And we have to take what we can get. And I was, I be was kind great, of be grateful. And I'm like, yeah. oh, no, never. But um, I am the biggest proponent. Like whenever I've worked with anyone, I have full transparency. And when I chat with people I mentor, I say, hey, this has been my career path. Here's how much I made here. Then I got a promotion and a raise. Here's how I'm making now. Here's how much I'm making now in this last role. Because if we don't share that, we can't share the knowledge that will help get others into higher paying positions because your average Latina makes 60, I think it was 63 cents on the dollar for white men. 63 cents. The on fact every that dollar I'm not even surprised by that. Isn't that at all? And it's upsetting to me because I know that I'm going to have to negotiate salaries as yeah. an attending. I mean, I can't really negotiate oh. as a resident because you have to be grateful that you matched residency, right? But as an attending, like the fact that we speak more than one language, that makes us twice as valuable yes. as a person. Like you have two employees for the cost of one. So that in and of itself, like, we should be compensated so much more than we are. And it just, uh But I, I really hope conversations like this help change things and that if we end up in positions where we're the ones doing the hiring, that mm -hmm. changes things. Mm -hmm. I think absolutely. And I, going back to what you're saying around, like, you have to ask to get a yes. Yeah. It's, like, it's really funny that you picked up on that because that's something, like, I... I feel like has has actually been a theme throughout my life and like really bizarre opportunities have fallen into my lap because of that yeah. but I think the worst thing that can happen is they'll say no and it's an automatic no if you don't ask right and 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 the best case scenario is they say yes or they say maybe and, maybe, then, and yeah. even then you get to follow up with them and I get asked pretty often they're like how do you get such cool guests on your podcast and I ask I literally, <laughs> I'm like, I just I asked them, them. <laughs> and they say yes. And yeah, actually, I've never had anyone say no. Now there that you I go. think about it. Exactly. Yeah. Because I, I think that when you start to pick up on what it is that you want, it's so much easier for your brain to screen for ways to get you there. And mm -hmm. so when I made it a mission, especially for Hispanic Heritage Month, I was like, I want to interview and get to feature like really incredible badass Latina women. Every time I saw like a, a video that really resonated with me, I followed them on Instagram and I was like, if I have the bandwidth to interview within the next two weeks, I would reach out. Mm -hmm. And it just has, again, led to like such cool connections and opportunities. Who would have thought that we would have been within walking distance of each other? Why? Like what are the odds? And I think what's amazing and what I love what you said was like basically when you make that decision of what you want. Yeah. And I think that's so important because sometimes like, and I know I, I can get in trouble with myself for this, but I'm like, I 
don't, I can't necessarily put out or like describe exactly what I want. And that's when I've noticed in my life, if things ever start slowing down and it's really just about focus and kind of putting out in the universe, like what is, what is it that you're looking for yeah. and kind of announcing that, or even, even just being honest and telling friends and having them hold you accountable to that. But I think as soon as you start to get a clear understanding of like what you want, which mm -hmm. is, let's be real, sometimes the hardest part, it is. but the universe has a really weird way of putting things in your path once mm -hmm. you get really clear on that. And showing you that you're supported. And mm -hmm. when you want things, I think that was the, the latter half of my intention with this, is that when you want things that will be for the greater good, it has a weird way of aligning. And it, it has a way of just working out in ways that are better than you could have ever imagined. And I feel like that's been such a constant in my life where like I didn't even want to finish submitting my application to the school I'm at because I didn't think I was good enough for their stats. No. They have really high stats. Oh I have people tell me I didn't I didn't finish the application of that school because I didn't think they'd take me. And I felt the same way. And then I went to a conference I wasn't supposed to go to. I found out about it the morning of. I was like, Mom, can you drop me off? It's like a 20-minute drive. It's in Baltimore. We live in Columbia in Maryland. And I took a few copies of my resume. I met the Dean of Student Affairs at this conference. And I emailed her and I was like, I, I really love your mission. My school's mission is very focused on increasing underrepresented minorities in medicine. Oh my gosh. And How perfect. Like it just, it all aligned so perfectly. And it was funny because I forgot about the fact that in high school, a really big dream of mine was to live in New York City. Mm -hmm. And I wow. had a teacher tell me that I would never get into NYU, so I didn't even apply. <gasps> Are you kidding me? No, I didn't even apply because I didn't feel worthy of it because I thought they would just reject me. And it's so funny that like something I wanted so badly like fell into my lap so easily mm -hmm. years later. And I'm wondering like the idea of worthiness or mm -hmm. are you worthy of something? I think that's like a, it's a, also a big problem because we've been culturally conditioned to think he, we're just lucky to even live in this country, which yeah. like it is a blessing and an opportunity of that course, so many yeah. other people don't have, but it doesn't mean that we're not deserving of fighting for the things we want or yeah. to be at the same level of people that have had generations of families here. Oh my gosh. This reminds me of the story and this is a pretty messed up story. Um, when I was in second grade, mm -hmm. I had this teacher. I'm gonna say his name, Mr. Dunn. And I'm Mr. Dunn. <laughs> Mr. I hope I hope this gets back to Mr. Dunn. Yeah. And so this is in San Diego. Um, but um, I remember I was called up to the whiteboard to write the answer to a, a problem, and mm -hmm. I and I made a mistake. And he literally turned to the class and said, "Megan, I hope you learn how to say." would you like fries with that? Because that's all you're going to amount to. And mind you, like, okay, like, let's be real. Those people work really freaking hard. Yeah. But, but that aside, why would you tell that to a second grader? Because they made a mistake. Like that's, that's learning. That's it's so deteriorating right? to your self-esteem, to your self-perception. Luckily, I'm, I love proving people wrong. And I think yeah. that has, that's probably my secondary theme in life is mm -hmm. I love proving people wrong. So rather than allowing that to kind of set me back, well, immediately I told my mom, my mom was Yes, she went to the school and he got reprimanded. It's great. Okay, anyway. as he should. No, I'm so glad that you spoke up for yourself. But fast forward, when I graduated from Duke University and I had my graduation announcements, did I send him one? Absolutely. He, I love that for he you. He might not even know who I am, but am I just going to send that just in case? Absolutely, because I again, there's one thing I love. It's proving people wrong, and mm -hmm. I feel like I've been underestimated so many times in my life. And I think the second people see us, they see us as a pretty face that is gonna be, you know, 
Yeah. Like, people are so shocked when we have so much more to offer than the way we look. And mm-hmm. at, that's my favorite part is, like, watching people's jaws drop. Or when I get pimped on rounds and they're like, what's the mechanism of this? And I articulate it really well. And they're like, wow, good job. And I'm like, why the wow? Yeah. Or when I look, like, my favorite my favorite thing that I hate um, <laughs> yeah. is uh, when, oh, wow, you're so articulate. Why are you surprised? Why are you surprised? Yeah, I always find that really... I want to, like, let's unpack that for a second. And mm-hmm. I think the thing, as I get older, I'm more comfortable challenging people and trying to point out where they're being blatantly sexist or racist yeah. and, and just like, oh, why is that? And, and I love to watch them squirm a little bit now, too, but I think they they need to, like, because it's, mm-hmm. it's really uncool, whatever prejudice they're holding, but also yeah. the fact that they feel comfortable saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. I don't want them feeling comfortable saying that out loud. And the fact that they feel comfortable trying to package it as a compliment. Like, I get told the same thing, where they're like, oh, you don't have an accent at all, but you also speak Spanish fluently, but they they just are very confused by it. And I'm like, I grew up reading a lot, like a lot, and there are a ton of words in my vocabulary that I understand very well, but that I never say out loud, because I never heard them said out loud growing up, mm-hmm. as like both my parents being first gen both sides, you know? So I really try to repackage that when I'm like, I, I think I told you earlier, I love the way you articulate your ideas. I think that's so different. I think that's what they mean. Way different. But yeah. then they, they word it as like, I'm surprised that you speak so well. And I'm like, uh, it's, it's different. It's like, yeah, like, please be more specific with your compliment versus yeah. like, you're articulate. But it's like, and when you said that to me, like, I fully understood what you meant. Yeah. And like, I understand that you, you know, it's a storytelling element versus it's you don't have an accent. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, is that what you mean? Like, like, cause that's usually what people mean. You don't have an accent. Mm-hmm. That's literally what people mean. And I, I just find it like shocking, Li- just absolutely shocking. Like I grew up here and like, surprise, spoiler alert. I don't speak Spanish fluently. So really? I mean, okay. So this is like another good story time that I actually didn't get until recently. Um, so growing up, so my dad's Mexican, born in Mexico, came here when he was four. Mm-hmm. And also side note, that's another question people feel too comfortable asking. Did he come legally? People ask you that? I've been asked that by, yeah, and I've been asked that by my fiance's family. And I'm just like, are you serious? That's I, not a question and I had to ask. And I had to pull them and the answer aside and say, why this is, yeah, I said, first of all, not important. But second of all, the fact that you feel like that's not okay to ask. And I, we went through this whole lesson and, and like, and, and, and it's, Anyways, I could I could speak at length about that, but we'll we'll pass on that. Just their <laughs> family, but I'm totally comfortable telling them why it's wrong. Yeah. Even even family, but so when my dad came, he moved, he was living in LA, mm-hmm. and he was going to high school, and people would literally like whenever he walked in a classroom, they'd start yelling "Arriba, arriba!" and like harass him for being Mexican. This is in Los Angeles, oh, no. right? And you think this is a high Hispanic population, so he. He quickly, buried it down. He buried it down, and yeah. he felt that he needed to assimilate. He he wanted to be white, and so he was like, "I'm only going to date white women. I only am going to because he was just he. It was his unfortunate way of like kind of processing and dealing mm-hmm. with it, of this desire to fit in. And I and I can understand where he's coming from. Like, I mean, I kind of went through that in high school. And yeah. In middle school, I got teased for being Latina, and. It's so funny how when culture shifts and suddenly we're in style right now, like how much that affects the way you've always perceived yourself. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And so growing up, when I I was born, my dad basically said, like, I want you to be, quote unquote, American. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't like, we're not going to speak Spanish at home. He didn't want me to have an accent because he didn't want me to go through what he went through. 
he went through and Aww. I and I and I used to be so angry at him for it and like be like and, and like um and not angry but just be like dad why didn't you teach me Spanish like you missed that part of your culture and I missed that but now looking back on it like that was his way of protecting me yeah. you know like that was his form of like pro- like as my parent as and, and I just think back and like that in it his way in his way it was out of love and I yeah. think that's kind of like one of the things that I think is so challenging coming from two different cultures and and having parents who are first gen here is just like you're constantly trying to figure out what's coming from whoa what's this and like and trying to understand where they're at too because they struggled mm-hmm. they struggled it was it was so yeah. difficult to this day it's difficult like sometimes my mom will call and they'll be like i don't understand you and my mom yeah she has an accent but she speaks english perfectly mm-hmm. and for years of my childhood she would use that as an excuse too she would be like well can you can you call them or ask them because you know i, I don't speak english well and and she like let that be limiting to her and eventually I was like mom no like you are so capable you are so intelligent you are so worthy Mm -hmm. and she is now like doing better than she's ever been she does real estate she does it super well but something very similar just happened where Mm -hmm. I kept asking her I was like mom can you send me the therapist from Columbia's number can you send it to me and I asked her like every other day for like a few weeks and then yesterday finally I called her and I was like mom like I I need to continue doing the work like can you send it to me so Last night she calls me and she goes, are you sure you want to do it? Like, I'm just worried because I watched my best friend go through her year of therapy and it was really hard for her and she cried so much. And she was like, I know medical school is hard enough. Like, I don't want you to be crying. And that was like her way of protecting me. Like She didn't want to give me this therapist number because she wanted to make sure that I was going to be okay. And your dad was doing that exact same thing for you. But at the end of the day, like it's, I think it is nice that as we grow up and we get to see our parents as our equals a little bit more and see that they were always just doing the best that they could, we can take back the power of that narrative. Exactly. Be like, Mom, Mom, I need the therapist yeah. number. I, I know where you're coming from and I love you for it, mm-hmm. but I need it. And the, the same way that you can now seek out Mexican culture and learn like all of the beauty to it. Yeah. And know that like you come from it, like you have a right to it just as much as anyone else. And that's been so hard. And something that I struggled with with Bandita is the question I'm always asking, am I the right person to lead this company? Am I, well, am I the right person to be creating this? Do I have a right? And I have to actually remind myself like, yes, I'm, li- I'm literally 50% Mexican. It, I'm not, I'm not, it did, just because I didn't grow up speaking Spanish fluently doesn't make me not Mexican. Absolutely. You know? And so, and it's funny because like my brother, I have a younger brother where he is so cool and I love, I love him so much. And, and he even asked me, you know, we've talked about it growing up in this, like this mixed household. Mm -hmm. He's, he's even asked like, you know, is how do I feel right telling the story? And because he's gone through his own thing, like he really wanted to get a tattoo of like of the Mexican flag. And he's like, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I can though. Like, am I Mexican enough? And it's interesting. Yeah. It's like, am I blank enough? Anytime you have to ask yourself that, like you have to kind of reflect and say, what is that? So we've had a lot of heart to hearts on this, but mm-hmm. it is really interesting kind of figure out at the end of the day, are you Mexican enough for who though? Because is there yeah. is there a, is there a Mexican police out there asking you know kind of testing? Yeah. In some cases, I feel like some people kind of try to be, but at the end of the day, it's just for you. And I think that's something we we need to come to terms with as well. Is like at the end, it all that matters is how you feel. And I want to remind you of how much you're creating a space for other women in your position, mm-hmm. other women who are half Latina but didn't get to speak Spanish growing up and didn't like travel to the country and didn't see all of the culture and you're making them feel 
so seen. I hope so. You are. I hope so. Because you make me feel seen. Like, sometimes yeah. I wonder. I'm like, I, I wasn't born in Colombia. I mm-hmm. spent my summers there growing up, but I, like, never went to school there. So I'm not, like, as much integrated as someone who, like, grew up there and then moved here, you know? So it's like, how much can I really represent the culture? And mm-hmm. then I realized that culture is something that we choose. You know, it's an, it's an active decision we make every day to represent mm-hmm. And when people ask me to say proudly, like, this is where I'm from. When people ask me where I'm from, I say Syria and Colombia. I don't say Maryland. Mm -hmm. Because that's where I feel that I am from. But I feel the same way with my Middle Eastern half. Because I think often when it's the father that spoke the language, it's much harder. Because you spend so much more time with your mom. Mm -hmm. So my Arabic isn't very good. You know, I, I don't, like, understand the culture as much. Because my dad was always working growing up. So, like, it makes me feel very seen. How much you are embracing your house and where you come from mm-hmm. and yes. you are you are serving <laughs> such a bigger purpose I think than you realize like, I, like we know it but it's hard to quantify sometimes it, it is and I think being I'm, I feel like we're both very ambitious and driven women and so I think being in that role too sometimes we second guess ourselves am I doing yeah. it the right way yeah. or am I doing enough or am I doing you know because it think, feels like it's never enough yeah and I think just having the right attitude and knowing you you have your own mission, that is enough for today. And sometimes we're allowed to just kind of curl up in bed and have a chill day and not feel like we have to Rest fight productive. Yeah, fight fight all the all the problems in the world. And I think that's another uh, another thing. But that's absolutely that could be a whole other podcast though. So. Uh, <laughs> I have a like deep feeling that this is one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. It just, it flowed so well and oh, naturally. And I think we'll end up doing a part two at some point where we can like dive into other, other topics. I, I feel like that. you're so wise and you, there's a lot of people that have accomplished something, but either aren't willing or just don't have the natural intuition to be able to share how they did it with others. Mm-hmm. You know, like not everyone is made to be a teacher. And I feel that you were really made to be a mentor. I love that. Thank you. And it's yeah. something that's always, I feel like, really been a big passion of mine. And I've been so fortunate to have such kind, giving people in my life who've wanted to share their wisdom. And so I feel like it's, in a way, my duty to, to give back. Forward. But yeah. that's the highlight of anything that I'm working on at any given point. If I can influence someone else and help them achieve their goals, like I feel great about it. So yeah. Um, but it's just nice to see other people succeed. It is. It mm-hmm. is. And when you come from that mindset that there's more than enough for everyone, it's so much easier for you to not compare and be like, oh, well, they're doing so much better. No, there's more than enough for all of us to do well. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so final few questions that I always like to ask everyone, what is something that you feel really impacted you? Whether it's like a book or a podcast or like a TED talk, like something that you wish you could recommend to everyone i really loved the book um big magic Um, i was gonna reference that earlier in our conversation yeah because of the whole like um where an idea comes to you exactly if you you put it down it goes to someone else exactly yeah but that's the literate when i that happened to me and then i read the book i was like oh my gosh like that was i had the The idea picked me i have to take care of it exactly and i think that type of mentality it has really been helpful to me. I also think, oh, I'm going to, I have to remember it. Um, was somewhere this right there. That's There's Untamed. Like, oh, Untamed. That was the second book I was going to say. Oh, oh, okay. I was like, okay. I Untamed really, by Glennon Doyle. Glennon yeah. Doyle is a gem of a human. 
I and I really loved kind of reading her story and the and the idea of like the cheetah and not and having to be kind of rewilded. I think that was really impactful as well, just because I think it helped me understand other women in my life as well, like yeah. understanding my mother more and kind of understanding kind of like what she like growing up in a complete gener or different generation, mm -hmm. what she went through as well. And so I think that was a really just interesting book. But I think from a more of like a business standpoint, I think Big Magic just because I think anyone can benefit from creativity. Yeah. I think creativity is because creativity isn't just like, oh I paint, I draw, I do this, but creativity in its essence is problem solving or in being inspired mm -hmm. or connecting to things that have never been connected before. So mm -hmm. two disparate ideas. I think we can all use a little bit of creativity in our life. I whether agree. it's our all right, like say whether it's our nine to five or our five to nine. There's there's always room. So I think that's really been impactful. Oh, wonderful. I will have them linked for everyone in our caption. Where can everyone find you? Where can everyone buy Bandita? Yeah. So right, you can find me at um on Instagram at Ola Bandita. You can find me, and that's my business, Bandita. And then for me personally, it's at WTF uh, underscore tacos. I it love your for, handle. It stands for Will Travel for Tacos. That's why. I used to... <laughs> Wait, I did not know that part of it. I just thought Will it was a funny handle. Yeah, so that. And then uh, on TikTok at WTF underscore tacos i think that has two s's though uh i have to, i'll have to double it'll all be tagged though so when you yeah. when you go to the caption for any of my episodes you can click yeah. on megan's name and it'll just link you to her tiktok and instagram thank you so much for coming to spend the morning with me thank for you. this conversation i'm so grateful that i had the impulse to reach out and that i get that from big magic too where i'm like if i have an impulse i'm gonna act on it when i can yes you have to and i'm so glad we wore matching outfits today we down really to the did. gold hoop so it's great <laughs> guys we're in all black um workout sets we're going on a hot girl walk it's gonna be great so this is hopefully your reminder to spend some time outside do something for yourself we hope that you enjoyed sharing this time with us thank you for listening thank you for having me it's been a delight so I'm so glad. I appreciate your energy. Thank you again for spending this time with us. You can find us on Instagram at all things Glenelwood. You can find me on Instagram at Stephanie Arnuk. And again, all of Megan's information links will be in the caption. If you click on her name, it'll take you to her Instagram, WTF underscore tacos. Um, and the website for her incredible horchata coffee is also linked under Bandita. It's at olabandita.com. If you enjoyed this episode or felt like you gained something from it or it made you feel seen, the biggest way that you can pay it forward to all of the time and effort I put into finding you guys really incredible guests and editing these episodes is to share it. Share it on your stories. Share it with someone you think would also benefit from this. And thank you again for being a part of our sweet community. Okay, have a wonderful day.